God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming again this week. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises He has for you in His Word for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? That's where we're going to be again today in chapter 26 of the book of Genesis. And we'll put those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along, as you know. And I'd like to talk to you today about God, your defender. You know, now last week we were also in Genesis chapter 26 in the first part of it. And we made it all the way through verse 14 we saw that Isaac had tried to get help from Egypt, or the world, if you will, during that time of famine that was throughout the entire area. But that didn't work out too well. In fact, it was quite embarrassing for him when he lied to that pagan king, and he returned to simply trusting God to provide for him in that time. It was a very humbling time, and God blessed him. In fact, he blessed him so much that the Philistines, where he had been before, envied him. And we also saw that Isaac was strong, that the community that Abraham, his father, had had was now even bigger. There were more servants, more herds, more flocks there, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people depending on Isaac and the decisions that he made. So it's important for a man of God when you have that kind of responsibility, even for your own family, even for yourself, it's important for a man of God to trust God. It's important for a woman of God to trust God for herself, for her family, for her children. And so we see this in Isaac, that he's wrestling with going to the world or returning to God and seeing who is he, who is he going to trust, the world or trust God, to get him out of this life and death situation where this famine was existing throughout the land of Canaan. In fact, the entire Middle East at that time was affecting Egypt too. We saw that Isaac was strong and had all of this community of people to care for and great wealth. In fact, Isaac was even stronger than the entire kingdom he was visiting there when he uh, came before Abimelech the king, as we saw last week. And that's why he was asked to leave. They were afraid of him. The king said, you're much stronger than we are. <laughs> Go somewhere else. They were afraid that they would take over their kingdom. And so he just was honest with with Isaac and said, go somewhere else. And so Isaac left. Now Isaac could have said, I'm not leaving, you leave. <laughs> but Isaac knew that God was watching over him. He knew that God would take care of him. He knew that the battle was not really his, but the battle was the Lord's. He knew that God would take care of him in any situation, no matter what he was facing. And Isaac knew that anything that the enemy threw at him, God would take care of it and even turn it around and make it bless him and, and bless him instead, somehow. Isaac knew that the secret of peace was peace through strength. And Isaac's strength was in trusting God. I want to repeat that again. Isaac knew that the secret to peace deep down inside was strength. Strength in trusting God, not in his physical strength, not the strength of an army, not the strength of weapons, but his true strength, 
His true peace inside would be the strength of his faith in God. He wouldn't fight his own battles. He would let God fight those battles for him. And as a result, the Lord put a fear into the heart of Abimelech, that king who would ask him to leave. God put a fear in the heart of Abimelech that caused that king to reach out to Isaac in peace, even though Isaac had already left. And we're going to see in the verses today that king comes to Isaac and wants to make a covenant of peace with him because he sees that God is with him. God protected Isaac without Isaac ever having to say a word, assemble an army, form a weapon, didn't have to do any of that. Isaac didn't have to defend himself because God was his defender. And that's what our message is to be about today. Today I'd like to talk to you about God being your defender. And we're going to start up actually a couple of verses that we covered last week. We're going to start up in verse 12, and then we'll get very quickly into a couple of verses later where it's going to be new verses that we'll be covering to the end of the chapter today. But I need to talk to you a little bit about what happened in last week's last two verses. Verse, actually, verse uh, last three verses. So if you look at verse 12 in the book of Genesis, chapter 26, we see that Isaac sowed in that land, talking about the valley of Gerar, not the city of Gerar, but the valley of Gerar outside of the city. He's no longer depending on Egypt. He's no longer counting on the world to take care of him and save him from this famine. He goes out into the valley. There's no one really there except for, you know, the farmers, the, the, the herd uh, people and the herdsmen and all like that. So he's counting on God to take care of him now. It says then in verse 12, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Oh, yeah. For every seed that you put in the ground, you're getting a hundred times the produce that you wouldn't have gotten before. The Lord indeed blessed him. Then verse 13 said, The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Three times in that one verse, in those few words, three times the word prosper, prospering, prosperous is mentioned there. Verse 14 said, For he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now remember that Isaac was desperate in the famine. It was really severe. Remember that they didn't have technology. No one worked at Google in those days. They didn't have engineers. They didn't have infrastructure engineers working on roads and highways. They didn't have automotive engineers or airplane engineers, anything like that. They were farmers. And they had herds of sheep and goats that would help take care of them. But then they grew their crops. Crops need water. There was no rain. So there was no water for the crops. So there would be no crops. And if there were no crops, there was no food. And if there was no food, the people would perish. Now that's why he went down to Gerar, remember the border town right next to Egypt, just north of Egypt, as close as you could get to the world without leaving the place where God had called him, Canaan. He went down as close as he could, and that didn't work out well. And after he was humiliated by a pagan king for lying to him, telling that king that, oh no, my wife is really my sister, she's not my wife, he was lying, but the king found out, and he rebuked this man of God, a pagan king rebuking this man of God for telling him a lie that might have brought sin on all the people. Wow, 
Sometimes you go into a place and you don't think God is there. You think that you're the person of God. But then you do something that's questionable. You do something that causes reproach on your own name. And some pagan non-believer sees it and said, I thought you guys weren't supposed to do that. You're supposed to be a man of God. You're supposed to be a woman of God. Why did you lie? Why did I see you doing that? And then it brings reproach not only on you or other believers, but it brings reproach on the Lord as well. You don't want His name to be blasphemed because of the evil that you do. It's better to be humble, tell the truth, be a man, be a woman of integrity. And it was then that the Lord gave Isaac a hundredfold crop when Isaac was willing to admit his sin. Tell the, tell the Lord that he was sorry. Tell that king that he was sorry. And he admitted that he was in sin and he left the city. He left his efforts to try to get the world to take care of him in that center of commerce there in that city right on the border of Egypt. And he went out to the valley and he was a simple man. He planted a crop in a severe famine. And the Lord gave him a hundredfold increase in the crop. Now think about what we're saying here. It was a famine. There was no water, so crops couldn't grow. Nobody was able to grow crops. And yet here's Isaac planting what seed he has, and it produced a hundred times the amount that what usually would have been produced, even in a good year. Not, not, not even a famine year, but a good year. It produced a hundred times what would have typically been produced in a good year. It was a complete and total miracle. You're always blessed when you trust in the Lord. Some blessings are physical and some blessings are spiritual. Most blessings and miracles are a combination of the two. But you're always blessed when you trust in the Lord. Now remember that God somehow provided for Isaac when no one else could even grow crops. That was a miracle right there. The amount of the increase, a hundredfold from a single seed, producing plants that would give a hundred times as much right at that time of harvest, that was a complete miracle also. And those verses that we used in our message last week are now going to continue into the verses that we start up with today in verse 15. Let's look at those now. It says in verse 15, Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells, which Isaac's father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them up with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, because you are much stronger than we are. You're much mightier than we are. So verse 17 says, Then Isaac departed from there. And he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, like we were talking about. And he lived there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. They were jealous of Abraham back then. He was a very wealthy man, and God was blessing him and everything, and God wasn't blessing them like he was blessing Abraham. And now they thought they were finished and done with Abraham because he's dead and gone. And here comes his son, and God's blessing Isaac, Yitzchak, his son, even more than his father Abraham. So Abraham dug these wells, again, that the Philistines had filled up with dirt after the death of Abraham. He dug these wells, and he called them by the same names his father had called them, it says in verse 18. Then verse 19 continues and said, Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley, 
and found a well of running water there. Running water, fed by an underground spring apparently, fresh water all the time. It's not going to run out that well. But the herdsmen of Gerar, the Philistines then, quarreled and argued with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, this water is ours. It's interesting to me that here they had filled the well up with, with dirt, and now they're saying the water is theirs. They didn't care about the well before. They'd filled it up with dirt. They had other water that they were using. But here they were at a time of famine, and they're looking for any opportunity they can to argue with Isaac. They hated Isaac. They didn't like him. He was strong. They had bigger herds than he had bigger herds than they did. They were envious, it had said in the last message that we made last week, the last few verses that the Philistines envied Isaac because of how much the Lord was blessing him. And so it said in verse 20, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he, Isaac, called the name of the well Essek, which in Hebrew means contention. Contention, because they argued with him. They quarreled with him. And then he went somewhere and dug another well. And they quarreled over that one as well. So he called that one Sitna. Sitna means accusation. So you had the well of contention. Now you have the well of accusation. And then look at what happened. He didn't fight them. He didn't try to argue back with them. Each time he just moved on to another one. And it says in verse 22, he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over that. He finally found a place where he could be at peace. So he called its name Rehoboat. Now Rehoboat means enough space or spaces, spaces for us that God had finally provided a space for them. And that's why he said it in the scriptures. It said right there in the verse, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. What he was saying was now we're at the place that God wants us to be because God is taking care of us. He's provided us a well that they're not arguing about and he's made our enemy go away and now he's prospering us. Then it says in verse 23 that he went up from there to Beersheba. Beersheba is of course the city in southern Israel today in the middle of the de desert there. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Don't fear because I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And so Isaac, it says, he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now sometimes it seems like in our own lives we're going through life and we're trying to look for our purpose in life. We're trying to look for a way out of a trial, out of a problem. Maybe that search involves looking for a job or a place to live or, or a husband or a wife or even just friends and everything. You go through life digging wells. You're trying to find whatever comes up. I think I'll dig here and see what happens. Well, that didn't work out, so I'm going to go over here. I'll dig here and see what happens. And there's many times when God will close the doors that you're trying to open. And that's not because He doesn't like you. That's because He does like you. In fact, He loves you. And the ways of man are not the ways of God. And God only wants the things for you that will be the best for you. 
So he closes the door to the things that you're trying to make happen that he knows would not be good for you. But the part of the life of the believer, it says, is to seek the Lord. That's what the whole Bible says. It says to seek the Lord. And the prophet, Yeremiahu Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet in the Tanakh, but Tanakh, it says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now what that means is that if you'll just keep on searching for God, He'll lead you to the well that has plenty of good, refreshing water. He'll lead you to what's going to make you happy. He'll lead you to what's going to fulfill you. And He'll make space for you in that place for the calling that He has for you. Now also remember that in all of these things, it doesn't matter how people are treating you. There's going to be trials in life. There's going to be people that do that. I, I love this little sign in West Texas. It's a little town called Stanton. And as you're driving by it on the highway after you made hundreds of miles to get through West Texas, there's a lot of nothing there in the middle of West Texas. And this little town called Stanton. And there's this big sign right outside of the city limits. I think there's only one street that goes through Stanton that you take off of the highway, off of the freeway there. And it says, Welcome to Stanton, the home of 3,000 friendly people and a few old soreheads. Well, that's the way it is with life. You're going to find a lot of friendly people, a lot of friends, but you're also going to find people that are problems. You're going to find people that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you just can't make them happy. They've just got a chip on their shoulder, we say. They've got some sort of a grudge in their heart. They don't like you. And especially if you're successful, they think that, well, what did you do? You know, I should have that wealth. I should have that car. I should have that job. You know, I deserve that, but you don't deserve that. They get jealous of you. They get envious of you. That's the way it was with Isaac. But what he was doing was he was trusting in God to take him to a place where he would finally have some peace in life. Now we have God's promise. Doesn't matter how people are treating you. Doesn't matter that there's going to be trials throughout life and that it's inevitable. We have God's promise that no matter what comes our way, we're going to overcome it just through our trust in Him. So don't give up. Just keep on seeking Him. Seek His kingdom first, and all these other things will be added to you. That's what it says in the book of Matthew in chapter 6, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Then it goes on and says in verse 26, Then Abimelech came to Isaac, came to him from Gerar with Ahuzat, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and you sent me away from you? Now notice Isaac was not happy about what had happened. But he didn't try to make a fight because of it. He just turned around and left when they told him to get out. He left and he left it in God's hands. He had more people. He had the strength and the military strength and the number of people. He could have fought and told them to get out. He wasn't going anywhere. But he knew that God was leading him. And he knew that the Lord would bless him for that if he just turned and walked away. But it says in verse 28, But they said, I, uh, Abimelech and Ahuzat and his uh, commander of his army, Phicol, said, We've seen that the Lord is with you. 
Now, they're not trying to pick a fight there. It turns out they're afraid of Isaac. Somehow God has put the fear of Isaac in their hearts. Even though they have their own kingdom, they're now coming to him as he's farther away in this valley of Gerar, not the city anymore. And they're coming to him and they said, look, we've, we've seen that God is with you. So we said, it says in verse 28, we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. And let's make a covenant with you that you will not do us any harm since we haven't touched you and since we haven't done anything to you but good and we've sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed one of the Lord. You're blessed of the Lord. Verse 30, so he made them a feast. They ate, they drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath to one another, uh, with one another, and Isaac sent them away and they departed in peace. That ended well. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came to him and told him about a well which they had dug and said to him, We found water. We found water again. And he called it Sheba, which means seven. But it also has a meaning that Jewish and Christian scholars don't really understand which of these things it means. Of course, the Hebrew word for seven is Sheva or Sheva. Okay, Sheva means seven. So you, you see all these things, and, and that's the word for seven. So that, you use that in the market. I, I want Sheva of these things. Tinli Sheva Eli. Okay, give me seven of these, okay? But Sheva can mean seven. Well, it turns out that was the seventh well that they had tried to dig. So that could mean what Sheva means for this well. And it also could reflect the fact that they had an oath right here at this time between Abimelech, Ahuzat, his friend, and Phicol, the commander of his army, and Isaac or Isaac. Could have been that oath not to do each other harm and that they would live at peace with each other. So it could have meant the oath, and it can also mean oath. But it could also be referring to the seven lambs when Abraham, Isaac's father, had also talked to Abimelech's father, who was also called Abimelech because that was a title. It means my father is a king, remember? That's what we said last week. And so Abraham at that time, when he made an oath with the other Abimelech, this Abimelech's father, Abraham brought seven lambs there for the sacrifice and as a gift to give to Abimelech. And that signified the oath that they were making to each other. Well, now we're seeing Abimelech's son, who's now Abimelech. Since his father was the king, his father is no longer on the scene anymore. So this Abimelech, the new Abimelech, the son of the original Abimelech, is talking to Isaac, who's the son of the original Abraham, who made the first covenant with Abimelech's father. And so now... He doesn't know if he's trusting that covenant that his father made with Abraham. He wants to go and make his own covenant with Isaac, Abraham's son, just to make sure Isaac doesn't turn around one day and try to attack him. And so Abimelech wants to do this other oath. And so when the first oath was made, Abraham had these seven lambs that he gave as a, as a, to a gift uh, to Abimelech, Abimelech's father, 
also called Abimelech, he gave these seven lambs to him as a gift to signify this is kind of how we're going to seal this oath. And this was an oath. So it could be referring to that oath. It could be referring to those seven lambs. It could be referring to the oath that Isaac and the new Abimelech is making today, you see in these verses. Or it could simply mean seven, because this is now the seventh well that Isaac and his people have dug. Therefore, the name of the city where this well was found is called Beersheba. You say, well, I've heard that name before. I, I went on a tour of Israel one time, and I think we stopped there. Well, you would be right. That's Beersheba. And it's the same place where that well is reputed to have been dug by Isaac and his people at that time. Now, Isaac knew the secret to adversity. He let the Lord fight his battles for him. If you trust in the Lord to defend you, you're going to be okay. There's so many reasons why defending yourself all the time doesn't work out. You're not strong enough. You don't know the future and things happen tomorrow that nullifies everything you tried to do today. Your enemies may outnumber you. You may have new enemies coming against you. Circumstances can change and your plans go down the drain. But when you let the Lord defend you, you're much better off. Think of this. He's all-powerful. He knows the future. He's always watching over you. He doesn't slumber nor sleep. He who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. He'll turn every bad thing into a good thing, is what the book of Romans says in the New Testament. And he'll turn every bad thing into a good thing. Even the things that were meant to hurt you, he'll cause them to be a blessing for you instead. So instead of hurting you, God will cause all of these things that come against you to bless you and make you stronger and better and more well off. And now as we close out this chapter with a couple of verses, it's going to talk about Esau and his wife. And then you go, well, that seems so out of place. We were talking about Isaac and Abimelech and these wells and Gerar and the valley of Gerar and how the Lord provided for him when he started trusting in the Lord again. And now we got these verses talking about Esau, his son Esau and, and, and his wives. It says in verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took wives from the daughters of the Hittites. One of them, it says he took as wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basmat, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind, it says, to Isaac and Rebekah. Now you wonder, well, why is God telling us this in this chapter? That's a funny way to end this chapter where we're talking about Isaac, and now we're talking about Esau, his son, that... What happened to Isaac there? Well, he wants to set the scene. He wants to give a background that's going to carry us into the next chapter next week when we switch back and we're talking about Yaakov, Jacob, who is Esau's brother. And we're talking about Esau then. We're talking about Jacob. But it's going to be important what these two verses here, verse 34 and verse 35, are talking about because Jacob is going to go and try to find a wife from his own relatives back in the place where he came from, from Padan Aram, from the place where his father Abraham, his grandfather Abraham had come from. And Esau 
is settling for the local people there and the Canaanites and the people who worship multiple gods, you see. And because of that, it says in verse 35 that these wives that Esau married were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. These ladies that he married didn't have the same faith as him. They had multiple gods. They served pagan idols. And they came from that. They might have been pretty. They might have been nice people, but God had said, I want you to marry from among your people so that you do not take in the idols of the nations around you. I don't want you to be absorbed and affected by the idols and the culture of the nations around you. And even today in the Jewish uh, culture, it's important for the Jewish people to marry from the Jewish people. And in the same way, Christians, believers, should marry other believers. Now, I know some of you have been married and you married a non-believer. You know what? God still loves you and He loves them too. You can't help what's already been done. But if you're in a situation to where you're looking for a husband or you're looking for a wife and you're a believer, then make sure that you find a believer. God has a man for you, ladies. Gentlemen, God has a woman for you. And if you will wait patiently and seek the Lord, He'll bring the right person along. Don't worry about it. But don't be unequally yoked, you see, with non-believers. You may think that you're going to change them and that everything will work out okay and they'll become a believer later. But many times it doesn't work that way. In fact, it works the opposite to where your faith gets weakened and you dilute your relationship to the Lord. And one day you look up and you go, what happened to me? I used to be so close to the Lord and now we do this, we do that. We're living just like the world and we look like just any other people in the world. But if you marry a believer, then God can take care of that. God can take care of you in the marriage that you have, even if you're married to a non-believer. You pray for that person. And who knows, Paul said, who knows but what your witness may be the thing that leads that non-believing husband, that non-believing wife to the Lord. But don't go into a relationship if you're not married yet and trying to marry a non-believer. You're only going to find sorrow and sadness if you do that. Well, it was the same way with Isaac and Rebekah. And they were sorrowful and they were sad that Esau, their son, had now married these two ladies from the Hittites, from a culture, from a nation that worshipped these idols and false gods. So these verses are really for next week because they're setting the stage for what's going to come in the next few chapters as the story turns back again to the life of Jacob, to Jacob. You don't want to miss that. Be sure to come back again next Shabbat. This time bring a friend as we continue our journey through the Torah. That's what we're doing here, going through the Torah, through Hasefa Bereshit, the book of Genesis. It's right in the middle of the Torah. It's, a, it's the start of the Torah. It's the heart of the Torah. You Jewish, you want to learn about the Torah? We're learning about the Torah. You be here and you'll see. We're going to go through this and you're going to find that you can understand the Word of, the Word of God. You can understand the things in the Bible. 
You don't have to have a rabbi. You don't have to have somebody else tell you about what it means. In Hebrew, we have what we call the pishat. The pishat means the simple and obvious interpretation. And that is first and foremost true. And even most rabbis will agree to that. And the Talmud agrees to that. That the written word takes preeminence over any oral teaching and over the oral writings of, of the rabbis and everything like that. You don't need someone to tell you what it means. When you read a book and a story and you, you read that book and you take that story in, you're interested. Do you have to have someone sitting by you to tell you what that means every sentence, every page? And then when people try to tell you what these things mean, if you're looking at the verse and they're going, well, what are you saying? It, you're saying it means something really weird and you're saying it means something deep, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying, I can read it right there in the language. It's simple to understand. That's a shot. Here's what's going on there. And the reason why you're able to understand that is because God wants you to be able to understand what His Word says. If you seek Him, with all your heart, you will find Him. Remember? That's His promise for you. You can understand what the Word of God means. You keep in it, and you'll see God changing your life and doing amazing miracles in your life. And you'll wonder how you ever got through life without it because the happiness, the peace that you find is what you've been looking for all these years. You Seek God and you will find Him. Now, today as you can see, God was Isaac's provider, but He was also Isaac's protector. And that's what He wants to be as you as, uh, to be to you as well. He wants you to cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. That's what the Word says. He will not only provide for you, He'll also defend you. Now notice what Isaac did. He just kept walking away from the conflict. Every time they insulted him, he would turn around and just go somewhere else. He knew that God was taking care of him. He didn't have to fight that battle. When he turned the other cheek, God stepped in and took care of the situation. Now, here's what I'm saying to you today. The Lord is all you need. You are his beloved child. He cares for you. You were created to depend on Him in everything. And He is honored when you put your faith in Him in life. He is all you need. Exodus 15 verse 26 says that the God is the Lord our healer. Psalm 27 1 says that God is our light and our salvation. Ephesians 2.14 in the New Testament says that God is our peace. Psalm 33 verse 20 says that God is our help and our shield. Psalm 39 verse 7 says the Lord is our hope. And Genesis 22.14, which we've already read recently, says that the Lord is our provider. And here in this message today, you can add one more thing to that list. We see that the Lord is our defender. God is your defender. You can rest in Him. You can rest in Him. Now, why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear your cry. He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from the darkness that you're in. And He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures and sins away. 
you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll even give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. I want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord today and receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him daily in His Word. Talk to Him in prayer every day. Pour your heart out to Him. He wants to be there and listen to you and help you. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.